the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 560, The Answer. Prepare to have your mind opened. The lies of the mainstream media are about to be exposed, and the hypocrisy of the left is about to be revealed. This is a revolution in how you think about politics, race, and culture. You've tuned into Black and Right with John Anthony on AM560, The Answer. Well, welcome back to Black and Right on AM560, The Answer. I am your host, John Anthony. Doug, you ready for today's show? Yes. Yes, I am. Okay. I, I, I don't know if I'm ready. I really don't. But, you know, the show must go on, though, right? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, the guest co-host this week. Um, I, I really think this, um, this young lady does not hold punches. <laughs> she does not hold punches. Uh, Patricia Easley. Did I say your, your last name right, Patricia? Patricia Easley? Welcome to Black and Right, Patricia. Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Hey, welcome to Black and Right. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, you know, no problem. You ready to have two full hours of fun? Yes, I am. All right. So, hey, before we get started on the show, and I'm, because what I want to do is I'm, I want Patricia to go and introduce who she is. Um, Patricia started a group on Facebook called Black Chicago for Trump. But before we do that, I want you to, if you, you, you see that little um, word that says share, I want you to share this broadcast if you're sitting in your car, call up all your friends and family to, and say, hey, I need you to tune in to Black and Right today to listen to John Anthony and Patricia Easley as they dissect some very tough issues today. <laughs> I think it's going to be tough, right, Patricia? Uh, <laughs> I think it'll be pretty easy. You know? Oh, God. Um, we just stay and we're not emotional. Agreed. And we Agreed. should be able to get through it. Okay. Well, we, we, do, we have some, some people coming on the show. Uh, my good friend, former um, police chief of, somebody's calling me right now. <laughs> former police chief of Gurney, Kevin Woodside, and my other good friend, all the way out from Las Vegas, uh, Eric Muldrow from Code Red Conversations, uh, we, we, to bring three different pers- police perspectives to the cases of Ahmaud Arbery and to the case of George Floyd. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, a pretty good, intense conversation. Some things people may like, some things people may not like, but it's but, but I really believe we have to have this conversation. It's, it's not the conversation that I really want right now. Uh, there is a conversation that I believe that needs to happen. I think it needs to happen after people have gotten over the emotional impact of what they've seen in the last couple of, uh, a couple of weeks with Ahmad and uh, with Mr. Floyd. So, um, Patricia, who is Patricia Easley? Let's talk to the people. Hello. Uh, thank you again for having me. I am Patricia Ray Easley, and I'm a proud resident of the Austin community on Chicago's west side. I've lived here my entire life with my parents. Um, now I'm, I'm an adult, and I also live and thrive here on the west side. I am a Chicago school 
excuse me, Chicago public school graduate. I went to Hampton University where I have a, uh, where I got a, excuse me, bachelor's degree in finance. I went to UIC and got a master's degree in language literacy and culture. Uh, that master's degree helped me because in 2016, I was really sad about uh, what was happening in this country um, and just the response of the Obama administration when it came to things that we needed here on the West Side. They were demolishing our housing stock very rapidly, and they had marked all the buildings with red X's. So my it psychologically drove me crazy. I grabbed my then four-year-old, I got her passport, we hopped on a plane, and we went to Senegal. <laughs> so we lived in Senegal in 2016. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, if this happens, I'm going to leave the country. If they win, <laughs> I'm going to leave. No, I did that in real life. Um, so I left. Wow. I went over there, um, and I really got to see a level of blackness that um, obviously isn't here. Um, just being around very wealthy and opulent black people and seeing that, you know, we were drinking out the same water, eating the same fish out the same ocean, but they wow. have like all of this money and I'm here, you know, just hustling, you know, <laughs> hustling in the car very, very hard. Um, so I was able to do really well there, but I saw that Madani, President Donald Trump, won the election. So when I saw that uh, Madani won, I said, I'm going to go back to the States and see what I can do because I knew that the economy would do better because he is a money man. Uh I um, came back to the States. I took my broker licensing test, and now I'm an investment manager and stockbroker at a large firm here in Chicago. So um, I'm doing all this from the west side of Chicago. And my mentality with being here is that this is part of the city, too. Um, a lot of my colleagues, they ask me, why do you live over there? Why are you there? I'm like, why would I move to the suburbs with you? Where would I buy the smoke meat for my black eyed peas if I moved to where? Hey, wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> smoke meat. Just talk to my wife. We guess we, hey, guess what? We, we even have, I'm, just, on. I'm just saying, hypothetically. We even have Parker House sausages. Come on. Oh, we well, you guys are, are making it more diverse. But my point is that I'm able to thrive and be comfortable here in my space because yeah. I see the value of being a part of a black community. I uh, value this space, and this is why I take this country very seriously. That's why I started Black Chicago for Trump, because this president has been very actively making goals happen for the Negro community. And I use Uh the word Negro instead of African American or ADOS or whatever other terms are coming out, because that's the term that codifies us in the United States Constitution Uh as being a part of, one, the non-immigrant class, but it also gives us a special relationship with the United States government that everybody else needs to be quiet when they're talking about. Wasn't there some some legislation or something, somebody's pushing that in Illinois to change some, some part of the language about how blacks are classified in the U.S., though? Well, I know that the Obama administration removed the term Negro from the census forms. Um, And so that's what really made me start to pay attention to that form. I'm sorry, to that word, because I was like, why did we remove that constitutional term? Because what's now happening is that there's a blanket of blackness, whereas we don't have the same relationship or issues. So we have people um, who are black, but who are not Negro, who are speaking against Negro interests. And it seems like it's legitimate because they, too, have black skin. So we have to do like the natives do, which is define and exclude 
those who belong to our tribe so that we can get the things that we deserve. Because yeah. we just saw last night what happens when we let everybody in the tribe. Yeah. You know, our protest was totally commandeered by outsiders. And now we're the face of looting, but we weren't the ones who were doing the looting. We weren't the ones setting the fires. But we'll get to that later in the, in yeah, the show. And, and I really think um, you, you, you found a lot of interesting information um, about what, ha- what was happening with the, the looting and things like that. But, but, but you know, I, I think what's really interesting about who you are, Patricia, is you wouldn't classify yourself as a Republican. You are probably not even a conservative Right. I, I, I mean, because I mean, and, and, and yeah, because you did you worked with um, were you an a intern or something with the Obama when he was in the yes. Senate, Senate or the state Senate or the U.S. Senate? The state Senate. So when I was 16, I um, I've always been really active in the NAACP, the Chicago West Side branch. And so we had a dinner where we were giving then state Senator Barack Obama an award. And at the time, I had applied to be an Illinois governmental intern. And so that program took high school seniors from around the state. We moved down to Springfield, lived with host families, and then worked in state government. So I went up to um, um At first, I went up to Mrs. Obama, and I introduced myself. She asked me what school I went to. I told her I go to Whitney Young. She's like, girl, I went to Whitney Young! <laughs> so we, like, hug each other. And I'm like, Mrs. Obama, I need a sponsor. I just got in the IGIP program. Can you help me? And she's like, yes, I can. Wait a minute. Barack, <laughs> Barack, come here. So he comes over. We introduce ourselves. She tells him what my need is. He's able to help me out. Um, and so I go down there, and I was his intern until he was elected to the U.S. Senate that November. Um, so I look at myself as an independent. I believe that whoever is at the table, I should be able to feast in my own country. Wow. Um, I think that the results that I've seen just from living here in Chicago have kind of shifted my views a little bit because those demolitions broke my heart. Um, mm-hmm. And my the people here in Chicago who could have stopped that, and we'll get to that too, did nothing about it. That's what actually took me to D.C. to meet Donald Trump. Um, I've been there twice um, at his invitation with Candace Owens. My initial time, I wanted to go to talk to Ben Carson about the demolitions that were happening in Chicago because he's over HUD. Right. So I see on Bossup.com they had a headline that said they're having a coon fest. I don't oh. know if I can go on the radio. No, but they're I, mean, having I get that, called that all the time, so go ahead. Okay, um, they're having a coon fest down in D.C., and then they have, like, Stacey Dash and Ben Carson. So I clicked the link, and I saw that it was uh, Turning Point USA, Candace Owens, and her group. So I said, let me see if anybody, you know, if they're still taking people. I apply. They accept me. Uh, then they say, you're going to get a special email. Let us know if, when you receive it. I get an email from the White House social office that says, um... He can come. So anyway, I go, I meet him, I talk to Ben Carson, he does his thing, and now we have Black Chicago for Trump. Wow. There you have it. Patricia Easley, Black Chicago for Trump. Hey, guys, coming up, we're going to be talking to, about um, the Arbery and Floyd case with my good main man, Kevin Woodside and Eric Muldrow. You're listening to Black and Right on AM560, The Answer. We'll be right back. It's the show the mainstream media doesn't want you to know about. It's Black and Right with John Anthony on AM560, The Answer. Welcome back to Black and Right on AM560, The Answer. I'm your host, live in studio, John Anthony. 
Joined by a great guest co-host today, Patricia Easley with Black Chicago for Trump. Um, I mean, just 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 a really good story about a life. You know, one of the things, Patricia, I, I, I always tell people, people really think I'm I'm I, I always try to bring bl- other blacks, other blacks or, or oh, something, oh, I got some feedback somewhere. Um, somebody needs to mute something. Um, but they, they really think that I'm trying to bring other blacks to the Republican Party. I'm not. I don't want to. That's not my focus. That's not my goal. My focus and my goal is to wake them up, to say, you know, get out of the bubble. There's more to, to political life than one party. And, you know, when I was in the General Assembly, I tried to do that from, from, from a perspective of how I went about legislating with when I was in the Black Caucus. I, I, I really tried that, but, it, you know, it, it didn't work. Um, but I, I'm not trying to do that. But before we go to our, our guests, um, Chief Woodside and um, Eric, I got a, as a call. Hey, Rodney, no cussing. <laughs> Hello? No profanity, Rodney. What's going on, buddy? Welcome to Black and Right. Thanks for calling. What's up, man? How you been doing? I'm doing well, man. How are you? You know what I'm saying? The old parent over here, I've been doing real good. Yeah, I, I, you're still up north, right? You're still in Illinois, up north? I'm, I'm, I'm down in Cal City, actually, but I'm oh, going back up there to work, back out of Six Flags when we get everything together. Yeah. You know, get how, everything ready. I, I tune into a lot of your um, your daily um, um, uh, Rotneyisms, is what I call them. The, 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 the wisdom of Rotney. I, 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 I don't know if you see me j- checking in, but uh, what's up? What's, what, 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 what's, what's, uh, what are you calling for today? I don't know much, man. I'm just, you know, watching this news and looking at what's going on in this world and just so terrible, man. Yeah. Ooh, terrible. It terrible. is, man. You know what? Hey, Rodney, I, I wanted to say hi, but we got to get going on to, to our guests. But thanks so much for calling, man. Hey, please continue to listen. Have you um, seen Ramsey and all the guys? Yeah, I see around. I talk, I talk to all the fellas. Oh, yeah. sweet. Good talk to you. All right, Rod. Thanks so much, Hot Rod. Really appreciate the call. All right, man. I appreciate you. All right. All right. All right. So, but but Patricia, you know, uh, that's that's a childhood friend. He, I, I, I think I haven't really talked to him in almost twenty years. Wow. Yeah. So I had to, you know, get him on the show. Uh, really Welcome good, back, Mr. Rodney. Yeah, really good guy. <laughs> but you know, um, you, you you've been watching the news. You've been seeing what's 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 been going down with um, just all of the mayhem. Uh, what's happening in Minnesota? You know the the end of the gentleman losing his life. You look at what happened a couple of weeks ago with Ahmad Arbery um, walked into a house, uh, didn't steal anything from what was, you know, what's been reported, and he lost his life. Um, so I wanted to really talk about this in a way uh, because a lot of people I, I've just been watching the news. Oh, cops, cops, cops! Don't never talk about this. Cops never talk about this. Even former cops. You know, they'll say it, but they'll say it in their little bubbles and they, they don't they don't really talk about what's actually happening to to the black community. Uh, I wanted to do that today. You know, you and I talked about it over um, the, the, the last week about some of the things that we really wanted to bring out. So I wanted to I, I gave a um, I sent my buddy and, and this is going to sound really strange. I've known this guy since I since probably 2009, eight or nine. He's been the chief of Gurney. We've never met. In person, ever. Kevin Woodside, welcome to Black and Right. Chief? 
You there? Yeah. Hey, what's going on, Chief? Hey, how are you doing? I, I, my best, my best friend that I never met. I know that when you sent that to me the other day, I said, "Oh, here we go." Yeah. Oh, how's the beard? Oh well, you know it's one of those things I couldn't do when I was on the job, so it is. Uh, it's a year and a half old now. So yeah. Well, it's, uh, you, you, Santa Claus. <laughs> you know, when I talked to you, I said I. I think initially I was going to talk to you and Eric um, separately. But I thought it would probably add a lot of good radio if we all got on the same um, conversation or same line together and really had a conversation about what's happening in America. You know, Eric Muldrow is a former police officer and the founder of Code Red Conversations, a YouTube channel. He examines a lot of police use of force. Uh, you can find him at Facebook at backslash Red Conversation 1. That's the number one. Um, you can also find him on Twitter at E-L-D-R-O Eldro. Um, and subscribe to his YouTube channel, um, backslash Code Red Conversations. Eric, welcome to Black and Right. Hey, thanks for having me, having me on, brother. So, I told you guys that I, I wanted to, to, to have this conversation um, because we need, I, think, I think it's a conversation that needs to come from the perspective of three individuals who were cops. Um, so, let's, talk, let's, let's, stab, let's take a stab at... Arbery first. That's probably not a good use of use of word. But let's take a let's let's start talking about the Arbery case. Eric, I'll start with you because uh, you've done a couple of videos about this. What's right. going on with that case? And what were your th- what were your initial thoughts when that when you first saw that? Uh, and I know this hasn't this doesn't have anything to do with policing uh, per se. But what were your thoughts about that case? Oh uh, man, we yeah, are right offhand. Uh, naturally, this is just me and my kind of contrarian and skeptical mind, the first thing that pops into my head, especially considering the fact that in the, in the world we're living in right now, where it's typically a bunch of sound bites or portions of videos, the first thing that popped into my head was, okay, what happened prior to the video starting? Right. That's almost always the, my initial thought in situations like this or similar to this, because I, I just, I know there's so much spin going on. And if you look at the, if you just take like the last few years, there have been so many occasions, the Jesse Smollett case, the uh, Covington High School kids, where the information is just fed to us and we're basically told what to believe and how to interpret it. And then later on, after the rage and the outrage takes off and runs, later on people that's when the facts, more information starts to come out. Right. So, so I look at everything. My, my whole perspective is, is my whole is primarily to always just be inquisitive and just ask questions like what led up to this? What did the McMichaels know? What did, uh, where was uh, Ahmad coming from? I just ask questions and I, and in this situation, I don't profess to know exactly what happened. I know a lot of people have already taken right. their sides and they're in their corners and they're ready to come out swinging. But right now, it, from a police investigative perspective, in my, in my mind, there are just too many questions to know 100% what happened. But, but you would agree that, I think we all agree that this kid should still be alive today. Oh, 100%, man. You know, because you, 100%. You, you get a lot of people who think like us, who are cops or, or, or you know, center right or... You know, I've seen, I saw immediately the jump out and they pushed out against, oh, he's a criminal. Oh, then they start using his criminal pass against them. So, you know, I, I, mean, I'm, I was one of those cops where 
I could go to a house and I knew I had to be objective. I couldn't, I had to, just because I had an issue with that person prior, I keep, I kept that in the back of my mind, but I knew that right. I had to go into that case. If I went, if I got called to that same house, I, I have remembered what happened, but I still had to make, cause they could have been the victim at this time. So I, I was always Very objective true. with that. And I think with, 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 with the um, Arbery and with the Floyd case, as cops, we have to be objective to what's before us. Um, Chief, what, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I agree. And I'm probably one of the last people to speak publicly on things like this because I am a, a, a big proponent of let's get the information. Let, let's see this play out and you know let the, the people that are handling the investigation get all the information because we don't see everything and we get information that is given to us through different media sources that all come at it from their different perspectives. I won't call it biases or spin, but I could just as easily call it that. And because um, it is. And I think that's really true still in the Arbery case. You know, there's things you can look at that, you know, how long did it take for them to, to prosecute the case? How right. long did it uh, you know take for things to, to come to light? You look at that video and it's really hard to imagine any scenario that makes that okay. That was an unnecessary loss of life. Yeah, I, 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 um, I know, totally agree. And you know, you transition. You know, go ahead. No, I was going to say in the Floyd case, you know, it's, uh, I think that the, the reason that I'm willing to speak out so early and why you've hey, seen hey, Chief, so many Chief, other. Hold, hold that thought. Hold that thought. Because I, I really want to dive into that and I don't want to, I don't want to give you 30 seconds to, to come with that reply because I read your Facebook post and I, I that's why as soon as I read your Facebook post, I sent you that message saying, Hey, I got to have you to come on to the show and give your input to what happened with the George Floyd case. And I think it's a, it's a very important input. Um, and you know, because you, you were a police chief, you've seen how this stuff unravels. You, you understand it. And so are you, so as you as a um, former Las Vegas cop, Eric, you get this and you understand this. And I think we really, what I really want to do when we come back from the break, I want to really go in and really delve into the specifics of this case. Because it's going to be here for a while. And the anger of it, the anger from it, is going to be here for a while. You're listening to Black and Right on AM560 Answer. I'm your host, John Anthony. We'll be right back. Now, more Black and White with John Anthony on AM560, The Answer. Even when one officer engages in excessive force, we all share the disappointment for the dishonor it brings to our badge. That was the police chief from the city of Detroit. Uh, Chief Woodside, um, you had similar comments on your Facebook page, and and, and I love when you said, um, normally you're the last one to speak. You said that earlier in the show because you want to bring all the facts out. You Right before the break, um, if you just joined us, um, you're listening in the Black Right, I have uh, on the show today my good friend, who I've never met, former chief of Gurney, <laughs> Kevin Wissai, and my new good friend, Eric Muldrow from Code Red Conversations. Uh, but, Chief, you were, you were right before the break, you were about to make a statement. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, when you say we've never met, we've had an awful lot of phone calls and we've done a lot of communicating that is the way people meet now yeah. in our COVID reality, right? So, so true. Uh, we've tried to meet face-to-face, but it just hasn't ever worked out. So many it. times. So, yeah. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, you know, as a police officer, uh, you know, it just makes perfect sense, right, to hold back your opinion and let all the facts come together, let the investigation play out. And, you know, when I say that, I want to be the last one to speak and want to wait for that information. If I say that to police officers or, honestly, if I say that to my echo chamber of white evangelical um, uh, relative privilege, then it makes perfect sense. But I know that there are other communities that hear that and say, you know, well, you just want the facts to align up and you want to get your story straight and right. you want to, to find, you know, some evidence that something happened that, uh, you know, like we were talking about in the Aubrey case, you know, how much did that, that uh, being in that construction site have to do with the justification for what happened and things right. like that. So, so I recognize that that doesn't sound the same to everybody who hears it, but, um, it, but it's important. And I think it's, uh, it's a measured way to come to before you speak and, and, uh, and, and form a public opinion on something like this. The difference in the Floyd and the George Floyd case is that there's, I just believe there's no further information that could possibly change this. This is not an excessive use of force. You know, this is something that's entirely different. It's, it's, it's not, it doesn't even come close to an appropriate use of force. And you talk to, uh, uh, to use of force trainers. I know you had uh, Dr. Schlosser on yeah. uh, on your show before from PTI who trains more police officers in Illinois in use of force than yeah. anybody does. And I don't suppose to speak for him, but he trained for me. Sure he trained me. He, he trained me. Yeah. So. Well, well, besides that, he's done some really great work. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and Eric, Eric, Eric yeah. can, can attest yeah. to what you were saying because yeah. he's, uh, he, he's, he's, um, you taught it right to the Las Vegas police department, right? Eric, yeah, I was. Yeah, I spent a few years as a defensive tactics instructor, and uh, so when I see the first, just like the chief said, there are something. There's sometimes, and I think the it's always the wise move is to wait to gain more information, regardless of what audience it is. Some people are just, are are used to responding emotionally, and that's pretty much the uh, the popular mindset of, of the of the culture we're in right now. But after one view of the video of what happened to, uh, to Floyd, it was clear in my mind that that officer was in the wrong. And I, I, spoke, I voiced my opinion like quickly because there was just no question. His actions, like the, the, the tactic he used, and I hear that, and there's a, a rumor has it, actually I actually read a bit of the policy that this too. was actually a, a justified policy on that police department that blew my mind that was like how yeah, how, how, how ignorant could that be how ignorant can that be i just well, I, it, I have it a just, you all so when we look at that case and we look at other cases that are similar to this around the country how much do you all think that negrophobia plays in these types of events and when i say negrophobia i mean in um, extreme apprehension to black people because we can see that this is happening to white people but not at the rate that it's happening to us and it's historically been this way so is this a cultural trend or is this a lack of training well i think that That's a i think good question yeah if i can chime in real quick i think that my issue with that is often there's a lot of times that we make the assumption that if there's if it's two different different ethnic groups involved, that there there's a rush to judgment, there's a, a instant assumption that it had to be racially motivated. And 
Because on the on the swing side of that, how often? When was the last time, or how often have you heard about the incident? And in no way, let me clarify this real quick. In no way am I trying to make light of anybody's death. Right. Period. Right. I'm not trying to do that, and I and I'm, I just want to put that out there. So before anyone tries to take my comments out of context, I'm not trying to do that. But how often do we hear about a white person who gets killed by the police officer or a Hispanic yep. person? The only time we ever hear of a, of a, when the cops kill someone and it makes any major news is when it is a white officer yeah. and, or, or a white officer and a black suspect. Correct. That's well, it. you know what? Let me chime in there because, and we're going to talk about that as well, but in Minnesota, there, uh, Muhammad Noor is in jail right now for killing the blonde. And, 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 and guys, we, we, we will talk about that when we come back from the break. Guys, share the link at Black and White Radio. Talk to everybody. Let them know that we're having a great conversation about what's happening in the state of policing and the community of Minnesota and throughout the United States of America. You listening to Black and Right? We'll be right back. This is Black and Right with John Anthony on AM560, The Answer. Get up, get on up. Get up now! Get on up! So, hi, George. <laughs> hey, you listen to the Black and Right on AM560 Answer. I'm your host, John Anthony. Today, I got a great guest co host, Patricia Easley, Black Chicago for Trump. Um, wow. Patricia. Hey, um, thank you all. Uh, so, back to the officers. So, when we were talking about uh, these viral police shootings, there's one in particular that um, has really incised, I'm sorry, Minnesota, and that's the Mohammed Noor case. So Mr. Noor was a member of the uh, MPD, and he shot a what he said was a dangerous, out-of-control, blonde, white woman from Australia. He was quickly charged mm-hmm. with murder, and he's about to get 12 years in prison. That went viral. So are the cases mostly intra-racial murders that are going viral? Or do you all think it's just black officers or white officers who are killing black people? Because I'm seeing it from always. Anytime that there's a mismatch in race, then that becomes a national issue. Then that becomes a racial issue. But when black officers are killing black people or white officers are killing white people, we don't see that. I agree. Uh, well, I'll let the chief uh, respond to that. Go ahead, chief. Yeah, I would say that that those are the kinds of stories that attract the attention of the media and those become, you know, that's what makes them viral. But is the race component, is it relevant to the facts of the case? You know, another thing I'm slow to do is take an individual incident and expand it into a broader narrative without real strong evidence of that. You know, I, I think each of these cases lives in the particulars. You know, every one of these cases where there's a of police use of deadly force is a tragedy and there's a loss of life and there are people that are impacted on both sides of it. And so to take that and say it is a racial incident just because it involves people of different races is an immediate jump that some will take, but I think it's, it's intellectually lazy but Chief, and Chief, too easy to do. Chief and Eric, no, I agree. But, 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 but don't you think it, it, it fits a broader narrative though? that the, the mainstream media tries to push, especially in an election year. Um, I think it's more of a, a message of, of it's, it's, a, it's a targeted message. And I think this year it's about the president 
Um, but don't you think that it's it's targeted though? Because that's to her point. That's the reason why whenever there's a different race that's involved, it gets blown up. But the moment mm-hmm. a white man kills a white man, you, I mean, it's it only stays on the local news, right, Eric? Right, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And uh, I don't want to get far away from the topic, but if we look at it from a a, a perspective of there should be outrage over, in particularly speaking of the uh, George Floyd case, it's completely understandable why people are feeling the way that they do. I'm not talking about the looting and the rioting. I'm talking about the, the overall outcry and people asking legitimate questions, people protesting. Those are, uh, um, those are good things. But when we look at it on the grand scheme of things, a lot of times, and like I said, I, I'm, I don't want, I'm hoping my comments doesn't, doesn't get uh, pull us too far uh, away from the, the primary topic, but excuse me. I said, take no, your time. Said. Okay. <laughs> but when we're looking at, I'm, I'm going to do another interview here, like in about an hour after I'm done here. And there is, and the friend of mine asked me to, I'm going to be doing a Facebook live. And he asked me to speak on the issues of police allegations of police brutality, uh-huh. which I never, I'll never be the one of the ones who says it, there's no such thing. But when you look at it on a grand scheme, the way that, the amount of media attention it gets, you would think that the police kill an innocent, unarmed black man like five times a day mm. or at least once a day. But when you start to examine, you start to take a step back and you start to examine the numbers. It is a totally different picture. Yeah. But in 2019, for instance, this is according to the Washington Post, and they're not exactly known as a conservative force. There were 235 black males who were killed by the police. Mm-hmm. Of those 235 black males, 152 of them were in possession of a gun. 31 had knives. 18 were in control of a vehicle. 12 had other weapons. Five had fake guns. So you're looking at a massive number of people who had, were in possession of a weapon of some sort during but their confrontation with the police. We have to be careful with that. We saw what happened to Laquan on Pulaski Road. Laquan had a little Thank knife you. in his hand, and they shot him down like a dog. So we have to be hundred percent. No, qu- yeah, no question about it. And each case has to be examined individually and taken upon its own merit. Because every, My because, point hey, is, hey, Eric, Eric, because every department is different. Every every chief of police is different, and and I think just every officer is every, different. Every officer with their di- tactics. We, we got a minute left in this segment, um, but you know I I look at what's happening, and and, and I think about social media is the new judge now, because mm-hmm. it's every it social mm. media expedites everything now. And as a chief, and I, I know we got we got the last segment after this um we got after this one minute, and you you guys I really appreciate you guys joining us. But social media is, is forcing the hands of, of, of mayors and police chiefs to, to divulge information that normally you wouldn't divulge because it's because the, the investigation is ongoing. You give people time to change their stories. It's it's it's, it's it, it, I get frustrated by it a lot because it's like, right. guys, relax, stop, just settle down. Four days. They wanted the guy arrested in four days. No, you got to cross right. all. You, you have to cross all your T's, dot all your I's. You guys know when you're charging somebody with murder, the slightest slip up can ruin the entire case, and the fruit of the poisonous tree throws the entire case out. This is why Absolutely. you have to take your time. We're, hey, but um, we're on our way to break. 
I'm so appreciative of my good friend Kevin, former chief of Gurney, Kevin Woodside, and Eric Muldrow from Cold Red Conversations, and my newfound friend Patricia Easley for joining me today. Uh, we'll be back right after this break. You're listening to Black and Right on AM560 Yes. This is Black and Right with John Anthony on AM560, The Answer. Welcome back to Black and Right on AM560, The Answer. I'm your host, John Anthony. Joining me today is my guest co-host, Patricia Easley from Black Chicago for Trump. I got that right. (laughs) Guys, if you're just joining us, we've had pretty much a robust conversation with former Gurney Police Chief Kevin Woodside and my good friend from Las Vegas, Eric Muldrow from Cold Red Conversations. I think, I think the way I, I really would love to wrap this up is when you look at what's happening in modern-day policing, you look at um, how quickly these stories trend um, due to social media, which you didn't have back then. You know, I made a comment, this isn't your grandfather's or your uncle's policing anymore. And if you don't know and, and, and don't want to embrace the escalation, I think based upon how social media has, has been the judge, jury, and executioner, you may want to find a new profession. Um, Chief, what are your thoughts about that? I, I, you hit the nail on the head. You know, every time you open your mouth here, John, you, you open up a conversation that we could talk about all afternoon. It's been three of them so far, I think, uh, just in our short time together. Yeah. But. I think, and you talk in this show a lot about culture, and I think that, you know, there are enough facts out there to suggest that there's something wrong with at least the subculture of policing that was taking place there in in Minneapolis. You know, to have that police officer do what he did and have other police officers around him not doing anything to stop it um, is is a strong suggestion. Again, I want to say that cautiously and humbly that we don't have all these facts, but that suggests that there's something really wrong with the use of force culture, with an accountability culture, with a community engagement culture that is, and every one of these is a local story. So when you take something specific that happens with a group of individuals that came together in a moment and somebody lost their life, and you take that and you blow it up into a big narrative that is divisive and everybody's own personal bias informs how they process that information. And, and I, I, I'm kind of arguing my own point here, but I know <laughs> that there was some discussion about uh, the, you know, the big narrative and the, and the data. Yeah. And of course, data is perilous, right? Yes. You, you, can, you can make numbers say what you want to make them say, but it's interesting to look at them. And Eric mentioned it, and I think it's worth pointing back to the Washington Post is the best source of uh, police use of deadly force information that's out there. And it's a searchable database. It goes back to 2015. Yeah, it is and a pretty you good look ma- at that, database. It's, it's amazing. Well, I mean, there's surprises that come out of that. The yeah. fact that there's consistently around 1,000 fatal uses of force by police every year since they started doing this in 2015, and there's no, really no reason to suggest that it was inconsistent before that. And you look at the, the race and whether they were armed and male or female and age groups. And, you know, I'll just leave it there, you know, yeah. to, to point people to go look at that because yeah. you'll be surprised by what the numbers actually show. Eric, final thoughts? Final thoughts is we, just like the chief said, and both of you said, we can't uh, avoid or ignore the reality that there are some police cultures that are toxic, that are bad. There can be places I've experienced it personally where 
in my career where I wanted, where I spoke out on against another officer and, and got ostracized. That is a very real issue. Yeah. Trust. And you can have both. You can be, you can be angry and upset over an injustice when you see it. And you can also want to know more, have want to have more information and then be willing to be critical of the, the, the uh, profession policing when, when it is deemed necessary, you can, you can, you we should have a well-balanced approach when, when dealing with this. It, we don't necessarily have to take one side or the other. There you go. There you have it. Eric Muldrow, Cold Red Conversations. Kevin Woodside, former chief of police of Gurney. We got to uh, fix that uh, not meeting, sir. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You, Anytime you want to talk about this stuff, I'd be glad to do it with you. you. You know it. Thank you. I really appreciate that, too. So, hey, hour one is up. Hey, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Um, got to have you guys back on soon. Uh, hour one is done. Stay right there. Hour two coming up. We're going to get into the nitty gritty. Listen to the black and right. We'll be right back. Prepare to have your mind opened. The lies of the mainstream media are about to be exposed, and the hypocrisy of the left is about to be revealed. This is a revolution in how you think about politics, race, and culture. You've tuned into Black and Right with John Anthony on AM 560, The Answer. Welcome back to Hour 2 of Black and Right Radio on AM 560, The Answer. I'm your host, John Anthony. Joining me uh, by way of telephone is my guest co-host, Patricia Easley, Black Chicago for Trump. You had a Facebook page, Black Chicago for Trump, correct? We do. We are on Facebook. That is Black Chicago, the number four, hashtag Trump. Come join us. That's... We have a lot of fun in our space. Well, I guess I, well, <laughs> I bet not crack that joke. I was about to say, I, I guess there are some uh, MAGO hat wearing people in Chicago, huh? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> We're the grandchildren of the people who put Nixon in the office in 68. We all we know is political rebellion here in the city of Chicago. So we are ready to make it do what it has to do because it's time to eat again. Uh We've been starved out for a long time. Ooh, you you sound like my buddy Mays. Hey, but you know, um, last week, uh, Memorial Day, there was an event that was put on uh, a, a Chicago Memorial Rally over by Buckingham Fountain. And if you watched the media coverage afterwards, all you saw was, Oh, the Chicago police shut down the uh, event. Yeah, I had people that were there. My good friend Vernon Jones was there. State Representative Darren Bailey was there. A couple other people was there. Carol Davis was there. And the message I got from them was, uh, nah, it was still... Nobody, they, they, they gave them a little, you know, issues in the beginning. But they were able to start and finish the event. And joining us by phone is the... The uh, individual that put this on, Anthony Del Medico, who's from E Square. Anthony, welcome back to Black and Right. You got to really tell me what. Come here and make and set the record straight. What happened in Chicago and Buckingham Fountain? Yeah, thanks for having me back. Uh, the, re- the rally went as planned. Everything went well in the very beginning. Uh, the commander of the event did force the crew to take down uh, our PA system. We had a really good PA system speaker set up. That was actually approved by him, which is really odd. Three days before, I went over it with him specifically. It was the same setup that was at uh, Thompson Center for the other protests. The same guy in the same setup. Uh-huh. He agreed to it, and he was taking some heat from the mayor, apparently. This is what he said. 
and you force an hour before to take it down. Now, that forced 500 veterans and citizens and politicians, elected politicians of both parties, by the way, to not practice social distance because now they had a crowd in. We had to rush, run to Walmart, get a handheld mic, you know, an hour away <laughs> that was very, very hard to hear. So uh, they had a, people had a crowd in. You know, one of the things the mayor said was we were not practicing social distancing. Well, she forced us through her order by tearing down our ability to speak to have to crowd in to hear the speaker speak. And so other than that, the event went well. Uh, we actually were supposed to end at 2. We actually went till, uh close to 3 p.m. Uh, the police did uh, line up uh, horses and bikes in kind of an intimidating fashion, like you'd see, you know, 100 yards away. But they never moved in. Now, the commander came in at, at 2.15, and he asked me to, you know, he asked me to try to wind it down. He looked very frantic. I could tell he was taking some heat from higher up. and even mentioned that. And uh, wow. um, I, he didn't want to violate our constitutional rights, but he was fighting two forces here. They have a real, real tough situation here because they, they sworn oath to the Constitution, but they're also having to follow unconstitutional uh, city degrees and state orders. It's a, it's a tough situation to be in for police. Yeah, it is. Well, I have a question for you. So um, on May 7th, uh, God took my grandmother home. She passed away from the coronavirus. Um, I am here on the west side of Chicago, and I am watching grandmothers, grandfathers, mothers, fathers, aunties, uncles, cousins, sisters, brothers pass away from this virus. And so when mm-hmm. I see my conservatives holding rallies to reopen Illinois, and I look around and I see my neighbors passing of a virus that uh, we're trying to stop, that becomes a little difficult for me to reconcile. So my question for you is, um, are you guys thinking about us at all? Like, I know that the businesses need yeah, to reopen, yep, but black Chicago's yep. being decimated. Yep, absolutely. Uh, my mom beat, beat cancer last year. She's self-quarantined at home in Florida. My sister drops food off to her, visits her in the backyard. I totally get it. I think that the 1% that are adversely affected by the virus should absolutely get Money's attention, time, resources dedicated to them to self-quarantine. But the, the 99% of healthy Americans that aren't adversely affected have to be able to uh, run, run, you know, go to work, provide for their families, not shut down America, yeah. and, and exercise the most basic freedoms uh, uh, that the constitutional rights give us, which is freedom of speech, right to assembly, freedom of religion, and something like on Memorial Day where you want to honor our patriots to the soldiers. I mean, those, if those kind of things go away... Um, then we're going to have much bigger macroeconomic issues, uh, much greater than the virus itself. And and that was one of the things, I mean, that you guys had, you know, told people that were coming up, you know, um, please con- um, social distance, please wear masks and things of that nature. Um, yeah. Uh, because I, I, I got the information from Gianna. Um, so, I mean, it's a little hard to... Yeah, it was a little hard to press social distance on when they took our PA system. Buckingham Mountain is a huge area. Yeah. Everybody could have stood six feet away and even sat in the shade. But unfortunately, when we got denied our rights to the, the PA system, which, by the way, we were verbally approved to have, Correct. and then an hour before our event was taken down, we had, we were forced into a, into a situation where we had a crowd much closer. And that, and that was no decision of ours. That was a decision of um, the pol- politicking there in uh, Chicago. Well, good. So so, so I, I know, I know you, you and I have talked, and Gianna have talked, I know where your heart is today. Your heart is in Minnesota. That's where you're from. Uh, what's the new? Are you headed to Minnesota? Or are you there now? And what's going on? If yeah, you're there, I have. Uh, yep. I grew up in Minneapolis, went to school, University of Minnesota. I, mean, I spent 20 years right there. I know that whole area very well. I got, you know, I got friends in the emergency room right now. Um, wow. It, very interesting thing. You know, the way that thing went down, it's, uh, 
You know, I got I have one friend who was shot with a grenade launcher, a tear gas canister in the face. Wow. But my Dave Liberté, who who was you know riding by his bike by by the protesters, wasn't even a protester, and the uh, the police officers in that third precinct. I'll just be honest. There's a, there's a history of excessive force by those police officers yeah. in the third precinct. Mm-hmm. Um, that situation, uh, you know, the guy, the, the man that was murdered, uh-huh. you know, he's got all kinds of constitutional rights violated: illegal search and seizure, excessive force, cruel and unusual punishment. I mean, there's a whole constitutional story right there. Uh, in addition to the murder itself, now that's been, that's been going on, you know, for quite a while. There's a pattern to that, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, to some extent. But there's a the bigger the, there's two big issues here in Minneapolis. You have again, you have a, a city and state lockdown. So you have citizens and, and people that haven't been able to work, shut up at home, angry, um, not be able to work, provide you know, in some cases provide their families. Now you have this situation where a man's murdered by a rogue cop, in which case his uh, constitutional rights get violated, and those two things resulted in a powder keg in Minneapolis. Yeah. Uh, of, of what erupted there, and it's a powder keg. What now? What you're seeing going on? So you have two two major issues. I, I believe is, is the unconstitutional lock in American general, and now another constitutional issue uh, of a minority group that's you know has, has a history of of excessive force in some cases. In this case, murder, and, and those two things just collided. You're seeing the eruption of two things happening uh, simultaneously right now. Exactly. Hey, Anthony. So so there was a there's a uh, there was a black guy that uh, was a business owner, and um, what. <laughs> When I heard the the audio from it, it kind of broke broke my heart. And I want I want you and Patricia to listen to this, and I want you guys to give me your feedback on this. Here it goes. Today we found core boy Bala, who invested his life savings into opening this sports bar, cleaning up. While our camera was there, looters came back to try to steal his safe. Right, trying to steal the safe. I don't know what we're gonna do. We worked so hard to get here, so hard. Now, Anthony, you, you're, you, you've started a small business. You, you've helped so many small businesses. And this is somebody that's from your hometown. What are your thoughts about that clip? Well, anybody, look, anybody protests, you protest peacefully. Um, the, the rioting, the burning, all that. And, and really, when, you're, when it starts to roll over to American citizens, and I got, I got family there. You know, people are worried about their safety now. Uh, we, you're talking about, you know, one thing's a protest in front of a police station. It's another thing to start burning down buildings around as small business owners are affected. It's, it's unacceptable. It's absolutely unacceptable. Well, I think, uh, I think it's really sad that he lost his business and all of the hard work that went into it. But I also know that he has insurance. Yeah. And so he's going to come back bigger and better because this is America and we always win. So I think that we should give him and all those business owners the support that they need, but just know that they have the insurance to replace everything that needs to be replaced. Yeah. And he'll be okay. He'll be okay. But we need to talk about the fact, again, that this was domestic terrorism and not looting. But we'll get to that. Right. So, Anthony, we, we got 40 seconds left. What's going on with Unconstitutional? Where can people follow Unconstitutional? When will it be released? And uh, yep. I, I think yeah, it's important. We're expecting an early fall release. Uh, Unconstitutional is an American story. It's not a political story. We talked about that last time. So we're covering, uh, you know, one of the things we're going to cover there is, is the, the man that was murdered obviously has uh, a constitutional rights violated. Many of them. There's a history of that. Just like our constitutional rights were violated when we try to express uh, freedom of speech and rights of assembly there in, in Memorial Park. There's a pattern... And there's a, there's a fabric here going around the country, and it's really exploded in the last few months. Constitutional rights have been violated for now 333 million, wow. 333 million American citizens, and that's what this documentary is all about.
All right, there you go. Anthony Del Medical, thanks so much for joining Black and Right. Um, we got to get you back here again when everything opens up. You're listening to Black and Right. We'll be right back. Back to Black and Right with John Anthony on AM560, The Answer. Welcome back to Black and Right on AM560, The Answer. I'm your host, John Anthony, joined today by Patricia Easley, Black Chicago for Trump. I, I, I knew when you made that comment about store owners and insurance that <laughs> you were going to get hit with that. So uh, John from Palatine, he says has a, he has a correction about store owner has insurance comment. John, welcome to Black and Right. Hi, uh, thank you very much. It's an honor. Uh, I just wanted to, I, I'm not disagreeing with anything that uh, you and your guests have said on the show. I think it's a, an excellent show. And I think uh, police violence is, uh, is out of hand. Uh, but I did want to make a uh, correction about uh, what uh, I, I believe uh, was Patricia mentioned about uh, insurance. And when they were talking about that store owner and they were uh, the, the looters or uh, were coming back to uh, steal the safe. Uh, I listened uh, to, a, to a, to a longer, more in-depth story and it, it, perhaps it was on uh, AM 560 uh, Late Show, and uh, if you dig deeper, you'll find that uh, the store owner closed his store, or, or the store was shut down because of the pandemic wow. and, uh, and the shelter in place. And then he had to furlough all of his employees, yep. and, and, and here's the key point. In order to save money, and I'm not saying this was a, the right or wrong decision, this was just a fact, he canceled his insurance, which actually oh. I did when... And, and so he, yeah, yeah, he he had no insurance. So the only thing that I I wanted to do is just make a correction because unless you know the full story, this this gentleman and he's a, a young thirty year old uh, uh, person who invested their life savings into this business, and and oh. he may not be the only one. Yeah. But you just can't say, oh, they have insurance, it will be fine, or, or you know, it will come back, which is the spirit I got in the statement. Yeah, thanks so much for calling, John. Appreciate Thank you. I had no idea that he dropped his insurance. You know, when they talk about the looting that happens around the country, especially with corporate entities, um, that's always the response. You know, well, if they loot at Target, Target has insurance. It's okay. They'll be fine. But I had no idea that this man had dropped his insurance. That yeah. just makes it even more heartbreaking. So, so I mean, um, I, I like this next call. Jim from Maryville, he says, the, the store owner's insurance rates will go up, and he's right. You know, mm-hmm. when, when stuff like this happens, um, do we still have Jim on the line from Maryville? You know, I, I, I really, I agree with it. This, this is what happens. Yeah, he's, I think he's talking to the producer right now. Jim's on the line. Jim from Maryville, welcome to Black and Right. Hi there. How are you? you uh, I'm doing good. The insurance, whether he has it or not, is irreverent. If he had it, I guarantee you the insurance companies are going to lose a lot of money and they're going to raise the rates for him and all his neighbors. If it was me, I wouldn't even go back into business if I had insurance and could collect something and get away from it. Yeah. No, I, d- I definitely agree. And I, that's just that's what happens when, when things like this happen. And I think sometimes those looters don't give a – well, I bet not – I don't – they don't care, you know. 
I think they well, don't my fit, right? Bo- I, don't, I wasn't trying to be dismissive of him at all. Like yeah. I said, I understand that that is completely heartbreaking. Um, but I think that when we have these, aside from this gentleman and the emotionalism that we've attached to him, when we have the conversations about the looting, you know, then the conversation becomes more on the material goods yeah. rather than the issue that pushed the looting. Uh, so... We want to make sure that our business owners are supported during this, but we can't make this issue about looting because it's much bigger than that. That's true. So Verlon's back. Verlon. Now we have to we have to shut Verlon. can talk more than both of us combined. Oh, hey, girl. Verlon <laughs> from the South Side. Welcome back to Black and Right, buddy. How you doing? All right. Hey, how, how you doing, uh, gentlemen and lady? Oh, um, hello. I'm sorry, sir. But, uh, listen, hey, sir. How you doing? I, I want to come at this at two different angles. Number one, there's no excuse for this gentleman to be dead, okay? And uh, it still rose to murder, too, because that was reckless disregard for this man's life. He didn't hold his life with any, without any value. Okay, so, so it, it, and those men, and I'm using the word loosely, those four officers, they're not men. Me and John grew up in a day where he, the police officers, police officers, they, they could apprehend you, they could secure you, and they can put you in the back of uh, the back of the paddy wagon without killing you. You understand? So th- those aren't men. He was handcuffed on the ground, knee in the neck. Another a police officer was holding him down. He couldn't breathe. He was crying out for four over four minutes before he died. Yeah. So those aren't men. They shouldn't be wearing the badge. They all they all were fired. They're good. They all should be charged. So I hope more charges are coming down the line. But I want to come at hey, the hey, angle Vilan, of Louis. Vilan, can I interrupt you real quick? We just witnessed a yes. historic moment. SpaceX has just launched. Elon Musk. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. I want to come at it the other angle. There's no excuse for robbing, looting, and burning 170 businesses to the ground like they did in Minneapolis alone. Do you know the long-term damage that they're going to do? Businesses aren't going to want to reinvest. Do, do they want to look like the west side of Chicago? These are it's, it's single mothers with kids. They're <laughs> single mothers with kids. They, they don't have a job to return to. Okay? And it's going to be a lot of people. It's going to be long-term hard effects on people from those businesses being burned to the ground. And just look at the west side of Chicago. So those are the two angles that I wanted to come from. There's no excuse for looting, robbing, and, and thuggery. It was a woman in a wheelchair trying to stop them from coming in, in the store. They, they hit her with debris and emptied a fire extinguisher on her. I'm a healthcare worker. My heart dropped to my stomach when I heard that, when I saw it on the news. It's terrible. Yeah. It, I mean, look at Detroit, man. Look at, look at, look at what's happened to them. Um, some of these places just don't recover. Uh, a part of that is because of, I forgot I can't say that word on... on, on. Divest is <laughs> Some, the word, and yeah, I want to say if yeah. we're going to talk about the west side of Chicago on this show, it's going to be only the best things about the west side of Chicago. The I west side of the Chicago west side. is... Oh, don't use us as an example, but I will say that there has been widespread divestment. And so what happens in these looted spots, like our caller before called and said, people get their insurance and then they move out and then they never rebuild because there's a risk of that happening again because the systemic change has not occurred. So but that's a again, leadership issue. That's a leadership problem. That's a leadership issue. And, and that's a that's a I don't want to pay attention to what's happening, on what's going on on the West Side. That's the problem. That's the problem in the city of Chicago. That's the problem in cities like Detroit. You, you have these weak leaders 
who 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 get elected year after year, every four years, because they have a certain initial in front of their name, and people are not looking to say, "Hey, let's hold these, let's hold their feet to the fire." That's what we got to do. That's why Black Chicago. That's why Black America needs to wake up. I and and I echo, I echo what the president said. What do you have to lose? You've been stuck with these losers forever, and you're still losing. Sorry. But the gains that we're getting from Maidani, we're not even paying attention to because the media is telling us not to look at them, not to clap. Uh, He funded HBCUs permanently and gave us $250 million a year. Under Obama, we were closing HBCUs. But we're not clapping for the president for that. We're not clapping for the president for years. People have been screaming, free the guys, free the guys. Now the guys are free. And yet nobody clapped for the president for that. Yeah. So what they are going to do is they are there. This is happening nationwide. I look at things from the macro level rather than the micro level. Yeah. The macro level, Negroes are being pushed out of urban centers around America period. And so what hap- what's happening right now across the cities, yes, we are sad that Mr. Floyd died, but this is a direct response to gentrification that has mm. been going on. And it is going to get worse and worse as they try to push us into these little suburban rural areas. We don't want to live out there. So we'll be back. And <laughs> if we can't hey, stay hey, here... nothing wrong with the suburbs. <laughs> Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait! 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 If you gonna come at the suburbs on this show, then I, you you better talk about the best things about the suburbs. Oh, I better stop doing it. My wife. No, no, no. But I'm me. just saying, though. I'm just saying. You know, overall, that's what's happening to us, and so that's where this frustration is coming in. Where we have even here in Chicago, when they said that the majority of the social distancing violations happened on the south and west side, when the people up north are hanging out on the lake. But I can't go outside and hang out at the park like I like to do. No. So that's where the frustration comes in. But Mr. Floyd's death was just the spark that made everything explode. I agree. And and you know what? When we come back, I want to talk about because you you, you had a very good. um, I love how you tried to break down Antifa and who they really are and and their role in Black Lives Matter and all that. So when we come back, let's talk about that. I also want to talk about uh, my own story of police brutality. Uh, you listening to Black and Right on AM560. Hey, follow me at Facebook and Twitter at J. Anthony Speaks. Continue to share this link. Tell everybody. Tell your mama, your daddy, your sister, your granddaddy, your grandma, everybody about Black and Right. We'll be right back. We now return to Black and Right on AM560, The Answer. Here's John Anthony. Welcome back to Black and Right on AM560, The Answer. I'm your host, John Anthony. Join me as my guest co-host today is Patricia Easley. Oh, you starting you stirring up a lot of stuff, Patricia. You are a troublemaker. I'm convinced of that. I'm a peacekeeper. <laughs> 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 you know, uh, we were right before the break. We were talking about you know what's going on in Minnesota, the looting, and you know I saw a video and <laughs> it really pissed me off. It, it really did because there was. Uh, a guy dressed in all black. He was a white guy dressed in all black. He had a hammer in his hand and he started breaking out windows, you know, of, of the businesses. But I saw Minnesotans trying to stop him. If you if you watch what's happening, people who are from Minnesota who are black, they're actually trying to stop these people from destroying their city. 
Uh, but you had a you had an interesting take on Antifa, and I, I really would love to um, for you to to share that. Okay, so in 2018, as I told you, I went to the White House, and as we were walking to the White House, um, it's a group of black people. The Black Leadership Summit is a group of black people from every city, ghetto, suburb, small town across America. We represent a huge gambit, but these are real live black people. As uh, Joe Biden told us, we ain't black. Oh, yes, we are. <laughs> so these are black men. We walk down the street. They have on their little Stacey Adams, and they are saying, man, if Antifa shows up, we we are about to make national news because we are about to stomp them out. So you wait, like, wait, wait, wait. So you're talking, you're basically talking about Deontay Johnson. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, not Deontay. Hey, Deontay, if you're here. But no, Deontay wasn't walking with us. Um, but in any case, so I'm like, who's Antifa? Because I didn't come out here to fight on the White House lawn. And so what they explained to me is that, and by the way, Antifa did not show up for this group of black people. Um, but they are the militant wing of the liberal uh, arm. And what Antifa does is they are kind of like anarchists, and they go to these protests, and they set off bombs, they set fires, they loot, they just do high-level chaos and destruction to take over protests. And so what Antifa has been doing is that they infiltrated the Black Lives Matters movement because black people, my people, love to give out cookout invites. <laughs> so we've been giving out these cookout invites, and now we have t domestic terrorists at our barbecue. And wow. so what they're doing is they're coming into our spaces, and they're the ones who set the um, the police station on fire. Yeah. They're the ones who, like I just read, that two sisters in Brooklyn are in jail because they threw a Molotov cocktail at the police officers last night in Brooklyn. Wow. You know, that is high-level stuff that black people in America, we are not, we, we will we will, yeah. but that level of militancy is not present in us. But Antifa brings it to us, and then we are now the face of that destruction. And, 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 so and the dollar signs don't help neither to getting paid to go out and, and wait, you right. can, you're going to pay me to destroy? You know, right. I mean, I, who wouldn't do that, you know? So then you have Madani, who does the tweet that says, if you all, uh, looters will be shot, or we are going to, you know, attack the protesters. He's not talking about the, you know, us, who are out there with these signs. He's talking about Antifa, who's out there making bombs, you guys. Right. These people are not, we're not the same. We have to stop linking ourselves to everybody. That's why I say define and exclude. Right. Because Antifa is really destroying our image on the national scene or international scene because people believe that we are the ones causing this chaos and it's these white people from Antifa who are being funded to come and take over. Yeah. So, so Tom from Cherville, Indiana, he says looters are coming from other areas. Tom, welcome to Black and Right. The majority of the looters, the Antifa crowd, they're coming in from other areas of the country. They're coming in on buses. So what the Minnesota authorities ought to do, using state troopers, is stop these buses and arrest the bus drivers because the oh. bus drivers, who's telling the bus drivers, what bus driver would bus load in Antifa members? Who, who gives the direct, this is all George Soros money. That's been, that's I want, been go after the bus driver. Yeah. I would love to arrest if I was a if I had police authority, I would arrest the bus driver and say, "What are you thinking? And who's giving you this direction?" Well, I mean, on the flip side, he's just doing a job taking people from point A to point B, and I think that's what you know. I mean, he's he's just doing a job. He don't. 
most of these people that, that transport these people, he may not even know who they are. Well, you know what? It's deeper than that, because my state senator, my United States senator, Mr. Dick Durbin, who, by the way, is a documented liar. Everybody look it up. Uh But Dick Durbin stated that he wanted to declare the gangster disciples a domestic terrorist group here in Chicago. I remember that. I saw him at Northwestern and I confronted him in a public space on a mic about that. And what he said was the GDs needed to be declared domestic terrorists because they were disrupting lives in America. We have documented proof of the domestic terrorism that Antifa is creating. So why haven't they been pushed into a corner for of domestic terrorism? Is it, again, is this Negrophobia or are we going after terrorists? Whoa. Negrophobia. I, I, you know, you, see, now, I, I like to learn stuff every time I have somebody on. Now I'm going to be looking that up. You know that, right? That's my word. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if I could say that weekly, though. Right, George? I don't know. Right? I mean, um, Doug. Hey, wow. We're almost done with today's show. I need another hour. You guys, yell at the station. Tell them I need another hour. Uh, you listening to Black and Right. Hey, Bonita, Jim, and Steve, hold on the line. I'll get to you as soon as we come back. You listening to Black and Right on AM560 The Answer. Holla! Black and Right continues on AM560. Once again, here's John Anthony. Come on, come on, come on, Doug. Doug know how to rock it out, baby. Oh, George, Hop Daddy is just boring. Buddy-duddy. Hey, you tuned in to Black and Right on AM560 The Answer. I'm your host, John Anthony. Hoff Daddy, don't beat me up, please. Uh, no violence, please. AM560 does not um, adhere to violence. Uh, I'm your host, John Anthony. Uh, joined today by my guest co-host, Patricia Easley, who's stirring up all type of stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm watching throughout all of the feeds that I that I normally you know watch through. And people are, um, you got a lot of people excited. And uh, my, my, my good buddy, uh, Pastor LaFleur, said Negrophobia is his new word now. He's still in oh, it. Oh, okay. <laughs> And he says he's going to trademark it on you. <laughs> oh, then let me hurry up and do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, B, B, there's something that you really want to talk about as far as that what happened in Minnesota with um, uh, the Somali police officer who shot and killed a young lady. We talked about it earlier uh, with um, Kevin Woodside and Eric Muldrow, but there's something that you want to talk about. But before we get that, I want to clear these calls out so that we can really focus in on that. So we're going to go with Benita from Chicago. Benita, welcome to Black and Right. What's your comment? Yes, hi. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, antidotal, uh, Epstein was killed in the same way in his cell. The autopsy proved that he was strangled by a foot on his neck. Mm. So I, I don't know if you know that or not. I, 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 and, I have heard uh, that alleged. Yes, and then uh, uh, Memorial Day, uh, it's an obligation. It's not a celebration. We have to... We, we're obligated to remember the uh, the dead and the veterans because it represents freedom. What are they afraid? Of? These people in office now are they afraid of freedom? Wow. They uh they don't want to see the, the, the cemeteries covered with flags. It represents freedom. Hey, hey, hey Benita, so, Benita, uh, Benita, you called last week by the name of Anne, correct? Yes, I did. Were, yes, you, I were did. you able to get to the um, to, to plant flags um, at your loved ones? I um, wasn't able to get the Buckingham Fountain. No, I wasn't able okay. to get the Buckingham Fountain. But I heard it was a, it was different than they represented it on the news. Yeah. Uh, they didn't they didn't disperse it. It was not a, a riot or anything like that. 
but uh, they don't want to. They don't want to show. And VE Day, we didn't celebrate it this time. Uh, only Russia celebrated VE Day by a wow. parade. But we have to celebrate well, VE Day because of... it's over. It's yeah. over. Hitler's dead. Oh, because they're dead. Thank you so much for calling, Benita. Uh, wow. We we went from. She talked about Hitler and Epstein. Jim from South Elgin. Welcome to Black and Right. Good, my friend. How are you today, sir? Where, are you in some fascinating country today? No, I'm just heading down to uh, Naperville to see a friend. So Okay. But um, anyways, it's a beautiful day outside. People get outside. Just remember, no COVID while you're outside because it's all gone because of the heat. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyways, um, you know, President Trump has been talking about making Antifa uh, declared a terrorist organization. Okay. And I think this activity is going to propel that to occur. I think it helps. Because, but they, yeah, because this, this is all orchestrated. As a matter of fact, Facebook's censorship, there was somebody that took a picture of a guy wearing like a wire, like a, like a two-way radio, like the little squibbly things like the Secret Service has. Yeah. So the guy was talking to somebody. Of course, he's wearing a mask and stuff, so you can't see anything. But uh, Facebook said it was, they censored it because they said it was falsely being reported something that the FBI or the police or something within this group. Oh, wow. And that's not how it was posted. It was only posted that these Antifa people are having, these actions are being coordinated vis-a-vis two-way communication. Wow. Thanks so much. Yeah. Wow, that's that's an interesting thought. Thanks so much for calling us, um, Jim, and you're a long-time listener, and uh, thank you for supporting the show. Uh, Steve, I, I love what Steve said. Steve said, nail today's show, fail leadership. Steve from Peoria, what's your comment? How you doing? I'm well. Great, great, great show. I, I'm just going to sum your show, sum it up, the the two hours, as what you your show proves that from our local to our federal government, the failure of our leadership. Yes, and that is because of our lack of education and knowing what their job is. That's right. I, and I would like to compliment Patricia by comparing you. her to somebody I admire. Uh oh. Go ahead. I want to compare her to Candace Owens. Oh, oh, I love Candy. That's my girl. She's actually the one who. And the uh, reason. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I, I want to. I want to compare you to her because she. Yes, it, she she made herself better all on her own, not to just to better her life, but to better other people's lives too. There you have it. Thanks so much for calling, Steve. All right. So we have about about five minutes. We have a minute in this. In this. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to set up the next segment for you to just drill it home. Um, but I'm going to play uh, something I found off my good friend Maze Jackson's page that I, um, yeah, it was interesting. This is uh, what's ha- what was going on in, in Minnesota uh, with the rioting from a particular group of people. Here you go. Wow. 
When we come back, Patricia Easley is going to break down that video of some Somali residents of Minnesota who she believes is tearing up a lot of Minnesota as well because of the interaction with what happened with um, Moore. Is it Moore? Noor? Moore. Mohammed Noor. Mohammed Noor, the police officer who killed a, a, a white lady um, back in Minnesota a couple of years ago. We'll be right back. It's the show the mainstream media doesn't want you to know about. It's Black and Right with John Anthony on AM560, The Answer. Welcome back to Black and Right on AM560, The Answer. I'm your host, John Anthony, live in studio. Um, my guest co-host today, who's at home causing all type of, you know, strife and stirring up all type of stuff throughout Chicago, Skating throughout Illinois. Dating peace. <laughs> okay. No trouble. Okay, you are troublemaker. Um, uh, Patricia Easley. Take it away. Okay, so this is what's happening right now in Minnesota that I don't think a lot of people are aware of. Mohammed Noor is a member of the Somali community. Somalia is a technically failed state. They do not have a government. Um, it is a guerrilla state. Oh, I think we lost Patricia. She gone. All right, while, while, while we try to get her back. Uh-oh, here he goes. Patrick, what's up, buddy? Ah. My man, my man. What's going on, Dad? You got it, brother. Brother, what do you think? Hey, this is a great show. Um, I think you guys hit the nail on the head in regards to covering these topics, man. It's so imperative to talk about law enforcement, the impact of the black community, and the politics around all of it, and how we navigate ourselves through another moment in American history. Yeah, and, you know, we had so much more that we could talk about. You know, I talk with, uh, I've been texting back and forth with uh, Eric and uh, Chief, and there's just so yeah. much more you can, you can, so many angles that you can hit with this. And I think one of the things that I want to, that I want to talk about, because I think there's a, there's another conversation that we have to talk about. And that conversation is we have to live to tell our story. So, yeah, so 100%. as a former cop and somebody who's, who was beaten by cops, I, one of the reasons why I became a police officer in the Belmont district, I, I, I was, um, beat up really bad by cops. I still suffer issues from my, my left eye from it. Wow. And so I, I know what it's like. I know what it is. Um, it's something that I've personally dealt with. Uh, I was beaten. I was stomped. I was choked out until I was, uh, you know, wasn't unable to, um, I, I passed out literally had a black eye that, I mean, my eye was just totally messed up. My cousin, I was with my cousin when all this happened. And when he saw me, he, he, he looked like, like what the heck happened to you? You know, it was it was it was disheartening. Um, so that's one, well, of the, one of one of the reasons why I became a cop was to prove and to show that there are good police out there, and I know that there are good, honorable p- people that are that are that are even tuning into this show right now, and I think that's what I that's that's the other flaw. That's the other side. That's the flip side. But we yeah. we we have to have that conversation. Oh, you back? We have yeah, to have I, that I, conversation I, where we have to live to tell our story. Go ahead, Patricia. Oh, well, if we're talking about the police, I do want to do a special shout-out to the 15th District on the west side of Chicago. Each and every time I call them, they come to do the business of the business. They are extremely involved in our community. They have a very good rapport with the people. They've been doing graduation parades the whole nine. Um, Here in the Austin community, we have a very strong relationship with our police department, and I believe that's because we all love each other on the west side. Hey, the west side is the best side. Isn't that what they say? That's the truth. (laughs) Uh, Patricia, thanks so much for joining me today. 
it's it's You're been welcome. it's been truly an honor to get to know you and to hear um, your your worldview. I think um, the the greatest thing about life and the greatest thing about living is that we don't always have to all agree to get along. And I wish we can get back to a point where we can have conversations again, where we can have conversations where you disagree with what I where I'm at without calling me a coon, uh, uh, Uncle Tom. You know, those, t- those derogatory terms that black people get called because, you know, we may just think differently than some other people. You know, even with how I, how I view policing. You know, I love cops. I, 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 prote- I, 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 am, I do I protect cops. I, I, I'll get out there. But when they're wrong, I have no problem calling them out. No problem whatsoever. And I think, I think, you, I think what you're seeing is more cops doing that. So I want to thank you so much. I want to thank uh, Eric Muldrow. I want to thank um, Chief, excuse me, Kevin Woodside. I want to thank Anthony Del Medico from E Square for joining us. Uh, thanks for all the callers. Hey, you know what? Thank you to you, the listener, who tune in every week to hear what this boy has to say. I probably shouldn't say a boy, right? But who cares? Well, join Black <laughs> Chicago for Trump. There you go. That's the end. Hey, we'll see you next week.